This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason Mann. With me as usual is Rich Critch. Hello, Rich. Hey, how's it going? Doing good. Doing good. We've, uh, you know, we're got some interesting topic today. It's always an interesting topic at the Over and Back at Classic NBA Podcast, of course. Uh, we are talking about um, players that really were among the most elite of elite when they were in the 20, 21, 22 range and where they went from there. Um, and later on, we're going to talk about some players who were among the worst in those range and where they went <laughs> from there. And uh, there's some guys in both categories that are playing right now. But I, I, it's interesting because, you know, in terms of um, – and we use Boxer Plus Minus, kind of the easiest metric to um, c- compare these guys. A lot of these guys, in fact, almost all of them – well, most of them, like 90% of them or so, ended up with, you know, either Hall of Fame careers or a career that would have been Hall of Fame if something, you know, like an injury happened or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the guys we're going to mention here, and we'll quickly gloss over like the all time grades because, I mean, you don't really need us to like explain to you that LeBron James is good or whatever. <laughs> you know, the, Shaquille O'Neal was, was a solid player, but we'll dig deep into some of the guys that, that didn't quite get there and the reasons why they didn't quite get there. And, and, but there are some names on here, and there's particularly uh, one or two guys that, that pop up you know, as, as very young players that are elite level. And you'll see that with so many hits, it's amazing. There's any misses, including a few of these guys who, I mean, these guys aren't like terrible players on any stretch. I mean, they still had great careers, but they definitely fall short of the, the, the lofty expectations that having this sort of, and your criteria here was, you know, 5.5 box score plus minus or above uh, when you're 22 and younger. And you'll see that a majority of these guys are, are all time greats. And then there's some that just didn't quite get there. And it's really interesting to see how they, you know, where they, their, their pats were diverted away from that yeah so the guys who you know are, are either you know definite superstars either hall of famers or, or will be hall of famers um charles barkley anthony davis i think likely on that track obviously still young in his career kevin garnett lebron james was on this three times magic johnson was on it three times michael jordan Kawhi leonard tracy mcgrady was on it twice shaquille o'neal chris paul bill walton and then derrick rose who if not for the injury i think would have been on that hall of fame track as well so all these guys you know at at 22 or younger was we're on this elite list of um you know in this box plus minus list now box plus minus as we mentioned before only goes back to 74 so we're not comparing you know i'm, I'm sure you know um I, though I don't, you know, most of those guys were not in the league before 22 so there there probably aren't necessarily a lot of guys that were would have been on this list before kareem probably even though he might have been 22 by the time he was in the league so i guess you know most of those guys wouldn't have had a chance to be in the mm-hmm, league anyway correct. so I, I guess it's a pretty fair comparison if you think about it in those terms but the guys who are having it this season um Nikola Jokic and uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo are both having, you know, eight plus box score plus minus seasons when we're uh, as we're recording this. And for guys who are under 22, they're the sixth and ninth best seasons in that category of (laughs) of all time. So, uh, you know, it's putting them obviously on a track in which, you know, 
looks like, wow, they're going to really be impressive players. I mean, every guy on this list, uh, with the exception of the guys we're going to talk about, are, you know, surefire, awesome, just, you know, had incredible careers. But the, there's a handful of guys who just didn't quite work out for it. It's kind of interesting to explore the reasons why. Yeah, and, and one other guy as well uh, you want to mention, uh, Rudy Gobert uh, in 2015 was on this list as well. Right. And we, we have no idea where his path's going to go. I mean, he's kind of putting together a very good season this year again, and he's starting to, you know, obviously the Jazz are starting to get a little bit better. So you can see a path where Rudy Gobert stays great, but it's still too early to tell. I mean, in another five years, you know, we'll have a better idea of, of, of what the Rudy Gobert, you know, path is going to be. But at this point, it, it, who knows? He blows out his knee, you know, tomorrow. It, it, it's a completely different trajectory than if he stays healthy for the next five, six years. So you have no idea with him, but he's another guy to mention and kind of keep an eye out uh, for as well. Yeah, and he's not a guy who I would necessarily think he's going to, going to be in the superstar level, you know, of, of the guys that we talked about. Now he's, you know, he may be, you know, more like a Matumbo type where he's just, you know, the defensive best specialist and you know, does enough on offense or like a, you know, Tyson Chandler who's probably not quite a Hall of Famer, but, you know, a, a guy at that level, you, you definitely could see that, you know, whether it's, it'll be more than that, I guess, depends on the defensive value that he provides and longevity and all that kind of thing. But, uh, but good point. Thank you for bringing him up. I forgot to overlook him in this list, but he is important. Um, the guy who uh, we're going to talk about first is Alvin Adams, who was on this list uh, twice in the 76 and 77 uh, seasons. He played his entire career for the uh, Phoenix Suns, 12 seasons. Uh, he helped lead the Suns to the um, NBA Finals. It's a very surprised team in 76. They, they went only 42 and 40 during the regular season. Um, he led the team both in PER and box score plus minus. It was 6.7, uh, and uh, which is exceptional. Also, that year 19 points per game 9.1 rebounds per game 5.6 assists per game and only three other centers in NBA history Wilt Chamberlain Bill Russell and Sam Lacey of the Kansas City Kings in the same era have had more assists per game in a season and his uh, season is actually number three in assist percentage for a center in NBA history of all time Tom Borwinkle and Vlade Divac however this season, um, Nikola Jokic and DeMarcus Cousins are actually slightly ahead of him. You know, at this point in the season, we'll see where they end up uh, at the end of the season. But he's, you know, an exceptional passer, I guess, is the point I'm trying to make there. Yeah. And, and Jokic, you can see, uh, I mean, actually a pretty interesting comp there because Jokic is a guy who who now with, with Nurkic not on the Nuggets, you can see him maybe increasing that total as well. I mean, Jokic, I, I you know, recently saw the Denver live and I've been watching their games a lot recently because it's a pretty fun team to watch. And like, I mean, he controls the ball. I mean, he's like the ball goes through his hand. Uh, very similar to how Vladi was at, at, at certain points during those, you know, the peak Sacramento years. So it'll be interesting to see where Jokic goes um, with that. And Cousins as well, you know, moving over to uh, New Orleans might have the ball in his hands more for a passing than necessarily scoring all the time. So it'll be interesting to see kind of the follow of those two guys. And and this was that was that was Alvin Adams' rookie year, correct? Yes, it was. Okay, so that that's quite the quite the way to start your career there. With you know, come out of nowhere, have one of the best seasons of all time, and you you know surprise the world by getting your you know leading your team to the NBA Finals. So I mean. Full steam ahead for Alvin Adams, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, well, I mean, and he had a very good career. I, I, yeah. he, he really did. I mean, he, um, you know, those Suns teams in the late 70s and early 80s were generally very good, but they fell short, you know, kind of to the Sonics and then later to the uh, Lakers. And, um, you know, Westfield, they were a very good team, but, you know, didn't make the finals again, obviously. Um, and th- that was his best season. I mean, he, he had another, his next few seasons, I mean, 77 was great as well. Um, you know, just a bit below those numbers um, and, and kind of, you know, carried this, 
I don't want to use the word burden exactly, but he had he was famous for being kind of one of these guys. And there's a handful of these guys in NBA history. Um, you, know, you look at like Tyreek Evans and Walt Bellamy of guys whose you know most productive season was their rookie season. And never could, never seemed to build on that. At least not you know production wise. And you know when he retired, he would, would say, "I never felt that rookie season was an albatross that I carried around my whole career." But I remember thinking there very likely will never be anything like this again mm. with this much excitement. So it was something that he obviously th- thought about and felt about. Um, but you know, in that um, in that finals against the Celtics, that's of course the famous game five three overtime game with all the you know great heroics going on there. He battled against Dave Dave Cowens during that finals and, and really you know uh, matched up with him pretty well. They both were undersized uh, big men who you know were were, were good at uh, hustling and you know getting rebounds. Um, and he in fact he led the Suns in scoring rebounding. It was a close second in assists during that finals. So. Um, yeah, it really did show an ability to be able to battle with um, bigger players throughout his career and, and, you know, kind of counteracting them with, you know, having the mid-range uh, shooting and obviously you know, his ability to pass and direct the offense from the uh, from the top of the key. Absolutely. So, um, so next is, of course, a... Uh, a guy who I talked about a bit in a recent episode about the uh, history of the Clippers. Yeah, it's Elton Brand. Uh, 2002, he jumps on this list. Uh, 6.2 box po- uh, plus minus, uh, 18.2 points per game, and 11.6 rebounds per game. This is age uh, 22 season. Uh, 2002, his third year in the league. Uh, but he has got a really interesting path as well. Um, and kind of do a little bit of background first before we kind of get into into where his career went. Uh, but he's uh, only a two-time All-Star, 2002, uh, the aforementioned year, and then 2006. Uh, believe it or not, he was the only Clippers All-Star between 1995 and 2009, which I said believe it or not, but it's pretty easy to believe yeah, when I you believe look at it. the roster. Yeah. Yeah, of those right. of those teams, so I, I take back my believe it or not, and say it very obviously he is the only Clippers All Star between '95 and 2009. Uh, one time All NBA second team, um, kind of an undersized center, power forward, hybrid guy, a guy that you know in today's league might not fly nearly as much because he was very much a back to the basket guy, a guy that kind of controlled the ball down low, had a lot of nifty moves. Um, as his career sort of moved on, he got a little bit better at jump shooting and a little bit better at kind of stretching out his range. But when he first came into the league, he was sort of a um, a bruiser type, but never really had the big size to do it, which is always interesting about him. He was, you know, listed, I think, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, depending on what team he was on or, or how they were kind of branding their season. Uh, he could always be a little bit taller. I know when he first came to the Bulls, they said he was taller, and then little by little, he started, you know, shrinking uh, every year. But it was kind of interesting. He was just sort of a hybrid power forward center uh, combo. In his career, though, uh, 3.1 box plus minus, uh, 20.5 PR, 15.9 points per game, 8.5 rebounds per game, and 2.1 assists per game. Though, what's really interesting about him, and, and, and we'll get to it here in a little bit of, of kind of breaking down his career is uh, from 2000 to 2007, which is really his arguable peak as, you know, eight year peak, 4.5 box plus minus uh, 22.7 PR, 20.3 points per game and 10.2 uh, rebounds per game. And I actually looked at that a little bit as well. And it, it's really interesting. I mean, just just on a purely like kind of the box score stuff, the, the 20 points per game, 10 point uh, 10, 10 plus rebounds per game and two plus uh, blocks per game. There's only six players in NBA history that average that through their entire career. Obviously, you know, we're cutting off, you know, the back end of Elton Brandt's career, but through the first 
first eight years of his career, I mean, this was an all-time great. I mean, those guys that have averages of that is Alvin Hayes, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Hakeem Olajuwon, David Robinson, Shaq, and then Anthony Davis still has that right now, that that 20-plus point per game, 10-plus rebound per game, and 2-plus uh, blocks per game. So through the eight, you know, the first eight or, you know, seven or eight seasons of Elton Brand, you're looking at an all-time great player. And then, of course, you know, some other things kind of got in there. But, you know, circling back to sort of his rookie career, uh, or his rookie year, rather, uh, he was one of 20 players all-time to average 20-plus uh, points per game and 10-plus rebounds per game in his rookie season. And you look at the list of that guy, uh, you know, people that have done that, it, it's the best of the best. I mean, only one player has done it since Brand did it in, you know, 1999, and that's Blake Griffin in 2010. And then you look at other, you know, more recent rookies to do it, and it's a who's who. It's Akeem Olajuwon, David Robinson, Shaq, Alonzo Mourning, and Tim Duncan are the only kind of recent guys. And I, I use recent sort of in quotes because I'm adding, you know, Hakeem Olajuwon in there, which shows you how far back it is and how rare it is for a rookie to average 20 and 10. And, and, and Brand did that. Um, of course, after two seasons in Chicago, he was traded to the Clippers for Tyson Chandler and Brian Skinner. Uh, Brian Skinner was then traded a month later to the Raptors uh, for uh, Charles Oakley. So the Bulls were in this uh, rebuild of a rebuild. They had rebuilt uh, after Jordan and Scotty and Phil and all those guys had left. Um, got Brand, and then after two years, decided, ah, no, we're going to go in a different direction, and got the Tyson Chandler, Eddie Curry thing going together. Uh, yeah, it didn't really work <laughs> quite as well right off the bat, but uh, it was interesting uh, play, though, by Jerry Krause and the Bulls management to sort of understand maybe they weren't going to get to the level they wanted with Brand, so to kind of move on from him. Uh, so, of course, Brand goes to the Clippers then, and then becomes the first Clipper um, in 2002 since Danny Manning uh, in 1994 to be selected to the All-Star team. Uh, some interesting stuff with uh, Elton Brand throughout his Clippers career. Um, he was a restricted free agent in 2003. I forgot that this happened. In Miami, Heat made an offer uh, for $82 million over six years. Uh, in what was an unprecedented move at the time by Donald Sterling, uh, the Clippers matched that offer, though, uh, and Brand stayed a Clipper. Uh, just to let you know how unprecedented that, prior to that, the biggest contract Sterling had ever approved was a five-year, $15 million deal to Eric Piekowski in 1998. So uh, not big bucks going out there. And I always found that funny, too, because, you know, 2003 going to the Heat, the Heat probably don't get Dwayne Wade then, right? I mean, you can kind of understand you add, you know, Elton Brand to a team with, you know, Karan Butler and a few other guys. They probably do okay. Maybe they get out of the lottery and don't draft, you know, Wade. It, it, it's just interesting to see that sort of alternative history if <laughs> Elton Brand becomes uh, Heat, uh, Miami Heat player. Uh, 2006, Brandon the Clippers emerged as one of the Western Conference top teams. They went 47 games and make it to Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals. Uh, this was actually... Uh, semifinals. Oh, semifinals, yes, yeah. Uh, and then the first playoff series, uh, this is actually their first playoff series win. Uh, so them winning in the first round of the Western Conference was their first playoff series win as a franchise since 1976. And, of course, in 1996, they were still the Buffalo Braves. So that tells you the <laughs> the Clippers' uh, history. And you went into very great detail about that in a podcast last week uh, on this uh, very uh, channel. So uh, other stuff about Brand, he made a, you know, a career-best season that year, uh, 24.7 points per game, 10, points, uh, 10 uh, rebounds per game. Uh, made a second All-Star game, and he finished seventh uh, that year in MVP voting. So looked like he had something good going here with the Clippers. He had something good with Brand. He seemed to have kind of merged, got everything together. And then he missed most of the 2007-2008 season with a ruptured Achilles. Then things got a little weird for him and the Clippers. He opted out of the final year of his contract and became a free agent. A little bit of trickery here because Brandon, uh, his agent, David Falk, who's a very famous uh, uh, NBA agent and player agent, uh, he announced that Brand was opting out of his contract. Uh, and that was to give the, clear, uh, the Clippers some more payroll flexibility so that they could strengthen the team around Brand. Uh, almost immediately after he had opted out, the Clippers went and grabbed Baron Davis, who was coming off a really great season with the Golden State Warriors, uh, with the idea that they were going to uh, you know, build between Baron Davis and Elton Brand. 
And then Brand signed with the Philadelphia 76ers for a five-year, $82 million contract. And so the Clippers were spurned. And then things didn't go very well for Brand in Philly. Uh, over a four-year tenure, he was routinely injured and failed to really score more than 15 points per game in a season. Uh, he was released prior to the 2012-2013 season via the new amnesty clause. Uh, then he, of course, at the end of his career, moved on to the Mavericks, the Hawks, and then once again Philly before calling it quits after the 2015-2016 season. Um, as far as Elton Brand and the, the experience of Elton Brand and what he was, I mean, as I said, first seven or eight years, really great player. Achilles injury, he never quite got it back. Was still a serviceable player, but just little by little, I know he had some shoulder injuries later in his career. The body just broke down eventually, and that's really where you look at the brand trajectory. I mean, because eight years, he's right there on that trajectory, and then the last little chunk, it's not quite there. But it's an interesting question of, you, you know, how much do we value those first eight years of Elton Brand? Because they're really, really great years. Yeah, I mean, that is interesting because I would have thought – that he was good enough to be a borderline Hall of Famer, and uh, you know that that peak was was very very good. But it you know it was it, I would say it was great, but it was below superstar level probably. I mean you know probably oh six is the kind of the year where you could say okay that's like definitely like superstar, um like possibly best you know see or best player on on a finals team type you know superstar level. So. um I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's a case for there. Um, I think you know, pre this era of you know Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, he's the best Clipper ever. Um, I don't know what that means, uh, but it, I think it's you know there, there's something to that. I mean, if he if he went in the Hall of Fame, I, I would think it'd be totally fine. But he probably just doesn't quite have enough of the you know um, the All NBA appearances or that you know that longevity you know wasn't wasn't quite there. I mean, he had eight really good seasons and he was definitely a standout. But there's you know, dozens of other players who have had mm-hmm. you know, probably a similar stretch to that in their career. Um, and so it probably just isn't quite, you know, um, enough. I mean, if he be, if he had been able to kind of settle into like a more, you know, uh, effective backup role in, you know, Philly and later on, instead of being kind of a guy who struggled to hold on for a while. I mean, he had some okay years, but it was definitely, you know, it, it definitely wasn't um, close to the same. He, he wasn't like part of like, you know, if he'd been on a couple of championship teams there toward the end or something like that, you know, if he'd been like the, you know, guy coming off the bench or whatever, you know, um, <clears throat> like a guy um, like Michael Thompson, we talked about with the Lakers, you know, sort of kind of yeah. at the end, something like that. I think if he had been able to kind of be in that situation, then maybe, but probably uh, not with what he um, did. I, I, I forgot to mention with Alvin Adams, which I think is illuminates you know, like w- what kind of career that he had before we move on to the next guy. But his career box plus minus was 3.7 which is 39th all time. And again, going back to only 74, but you know, you're in the top 40 in that stat. <laughs> that, that, that's kind of, that's interesting. You know, it, like I said, Boxer, no number is perfect. Boxer plus minus has its issues, but as far as the kind of the one number stats go, it's, it's, you know, probably the best that basketball reference has to offer, you know, in most circumstances. Yeah. And I, and you know, Getting back to Brand, then we'll kind of move on to our other guy too. I mean, Adams. Sure. That's that's a go. And Brand, uh, he, he's in the top 60s at 59th uh, in career uh, box plus minus. But what's also interesting, and, and you pointed out, and that's kind of the argument I would make against Brand as well, is that he just doesn't appear on those All NBA teams, and it, it, it's largely because he's playing, you know, in the same conference as a Tim Duncan, playing in the same league as a Shaq, playing in the same league as a Kevin Garnett. I mean, among power forward centers, big men of his era, he just doesn't stand out all that much over those guys who were just elite all-time great players. So maybe that's that, that's partially plays, you know, part in what we sort of think of of Brandon, how he's historically, you know, regarded is that he just didn't, he wasn't leaps and bounds better than his contemporaries at any point. I mean, he had one or two years where he, he really stood out and maybe ran with them, but never at any point was like, oh my God, Elton Brand is, is one of the best big men in this league right now. He just never quite got to that level. Mm-hmm. 
So next we have uh, John Drew, who played um, in the uh, late 70s and into the uh, mid 80s with the uh, Hawks and with the Utah Jazz. And uh, his um, his second season in 1976, he had uh, 6.2 blocks for plus minus, 21.6 points per game, 8.6 rebounds per game, and a 25.3 PER. And for his career, numbers are really very good. Uh, 1.2 bucks triple plus minus, which is which is still okay. Uh, but 20.7 points per game, uh, 6.9 rebounds per game, 20.7 per. Uh, was known for his excellent ball handling, scoring, getting the free throw line. Was a, a great uh, small forward. And th- those years that he had with the Hawks, they had some very good seasons in the late 70s with uh, Drew as their star under Hubie Brown. Also had Dan Roundfield, Fast Eddie Johnson, and Tree Rollins. And um, unfortunately, he became a cautionary tale later in his career as he um, went into rehab uh, for cocaine addiction. I think three that was public. He had some previous there's articles later showing that he had some previous stints that the Hawks sent him to and, um, you know, was uh, also infamously part of the trade. Uh, that sent uh, Dominique Wilkins, who was drafted by the Jazz, to the Hawks. So he was on the bad end of one of the you know most one-sided trades in NBA history because you know he played three um, situations, three seasons in Utah where he uh, dealt with drugs and was unable to contribute. But when he you know was was playing, he was an excellent uh, player, particularly in those first three or four years. And, and there's a good um, New York Times article from 1983 as he's you know dealing with you know, cocaine addiction and talking about you kind of detailing the um you know where kind of the downfall began unfortunately but you know for, for a while he was a great player and even as you know he dealt with drug issues into the early 80s he was still you know productive for a long time before he really began to slip yeah it's 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 a unfortunate tale of him and of course there, there are many other players of that era too where it's just you look at their careers and, and where they were possibly going and just derailed completely by by drugs and other issues as well but uh yeah it's it's it definitely a sad cautionary tale for him though yeah he um so he has the he shares the nba record with jason kidd for most turnovers in a game with uh, 14 um as well obviously not a positive stat but notable <laughs> uh he was a two-time all-star and um after he went into rehab in 83, he came back in 84, was actually the comeback player of the year back when they still had that before it went to drug guys who, um, people who <laughs> got in trouble for drugs and then came back and then relapsed, which he did in 1985, unfortunately. He was the first NBA player to be banned for life because of drugs in 86. And then 1987, he was arrested for selling drugs to an undercover agent. Um, as late as 2010, he was a cab driver in Houston. And um, there's a profile of him uh, for our um, – Alabama newspaper and his high school coach said uh, this was in 2010 I believe he would have gone farther than Charles Barkley John Drew had the capabilities of being a player like Magic Johnson and Kobe Bryant he had that kind of talent it just wasn't no telling how far he could have gone so he he, he played in high school in Alabama he's one of the you know um, of course sort of forgotten because you know of his struggles later yeah. but was you know one of the great uh, players to come out of the estate during that time and it's a nice profile talks about how this is also, also of course during the time in which you know um schools are being integrated and he, he played for integrated school and you know kind of uh, was a way of sort of bringing fans together you know in, in that situation and uh you know someone who uh black and white fans were you know cheering for during that time so absolutely uh next guy on our list andre kirilenko he adds uh he's on this list twice actually 2003 
2004, 2003, he had a 6.6 box score plus minus, 12 points per game, 5.3 rebounds per game, 1.5 steals per game, and 2.2 blocks per game. Of course, that's a, a prime Andre Kirilenko stat line there with just a little bit of everything. Uh, 2004, he follows it up with even a better season, 8.2 box plus minus, 16.5 points per game, 8.1 rebounds per game, 3.1 assists per game, 1.9 steals per game. And 2.8 blocks per game. And yeah. now I'll get my breath because <laughs> damn you, Andre. Stop uh, getting I, so many stats. Yeah. I'll interject with uh, that 8.2 blocks per plus minus right now is eighth all time, depending on where uh, <laughs> Jokic like and uh, Giannis you know, finish this season. So Yeah, it's yeah. just like Andre, yeah. Andre Karolinko, you know, one of the 10 best seasons of all time. It's just like, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine. But I mean, that's Andre was there for a while. You know, a uh, hybrid small forward, power forward could do really anything on the court. And, and those stat lines are, are people that didn't watch him play. I mean, this was a guy who, who just he could score pretty smoothly. He could get great rebounds. He was a great passer. He was good at stealing, good at blocks, like great at defense. And that, that props up his box score plus or minus as well as he was just a great defensive player uh, and a positive offensive player during the first part of his career too. And we're talking about a super young dude. Um, and yeah, it's just crazy. Um, one uh, made the all-star game one time in uh, 2004 with that uh, remarkable season, uh, career all time, uh, 5.0 box score plus or minus. That's 20th all time. Andre Kirilenko, 11.8 points per game, 5.5 rebounds per game and two. 2.7 assists per game. We'll get to a little bit of why those numbers are a little bit lower than you would sort of imagine with a guy who started his career that way. But uh, uh, interesting way to kind of begin his career. He's drafted in 1999, and at, uh, at that time, he's 18 years and 132 days, and he was the youngest European player at the time to be drafted when the Utah Jazz selected him with the 24th pick uh, in that draft. Uh, he was also the first Russian to be picked in the first round of the NBA draft uh, that year. Uh, he finally joined the Jazz a few years later, 2001. Um, it was basically, you know, as you mentioned, 2003, 2004 is when he kind of got going. Um, in that season, he ranked third in, uh, in the league in block shots per game uh, and fourth in the league in uh, steals per game. He became just the second player in NBA history uh, to rank top five in both categories. Uh, David Robinson in the 91-92 uh, season was the other one to do that. Uh, more than that, though, AK-47, the greatest nickname in basketball history, I, I now, I don't. I don't know about greatest, but it, it's to me, it's top five. It's, it's a good it's one. In, yeah, yeah. It's in the Mount Rushmore of of, of NBA nicknames for me. But uh, AK forty seven, because his number was forty seven. It was just so perfect. I loved it. When I finally realized, I was like, that is just oh my god, that's oh crazy. Okay. Anyway, he assumed uh, leadership duties. You know, importantly after the Jazz, uh, after the kind of the post uh, Malone Stockton era, of the Jazz. It was it was kind of Kirilenko's team uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, the problem was the team wasn't great like that. <laughs> it didn't quite work uh, that way. He was one of the most versatile players in the league, though. I mean, him and Akeem Olajuwon are the only two players uh, to have finished a game with at least six steals, six blocks, six points, six rebounds, and six assists. So that's just a crazy, just to show the, the where he was all over the court. Him and Akeem Olajuwon, another you know all-time versatile player. But as I mentioned, the Jazz didn't really do a whole lot with Kirilenko as their top player. And it wasn't really until Darren Williams, Carlos Bluzer, Memon Okor, and a few other guys uh, kind of emerged with the Jazz that they returned to relevance. Um, and unfortunately for Kirilenko, his struggles kind of coincided with the team becoming great. It was, you know, right as they started getting good and right as all those other guys started getting together, Kirilenko had troubles with his shot. Uh, he had a remarkably, you know, inefficient season. Uh, he averaged, you know, scoring dipped, you know, five points per game. He just really was struggling a lot. You know, at one point he he got some special assistance from John Hornacek and and got his, you know, shot back, you know, in later in his career. But the bloom was kind of off the rose at that point. Um, you know, only a few years into his, his NBA career, uh, things kind of got awry in the 2011 lockout. He uh, returned to Russia to play with his old uh, Moscow team. Uh, and although lo- all the lockout had been resolved, he decided to stay there uh, instead of, you know, returning to the NBA. 
Uh, he then signed on with the Timberwolves and the Nets. Um, and then finally, he was traded in 2014 to the 76ers. Uh, 76ers suspended him without pay uh, in January 2015 uh, after he failed to report after the trade. And then on February 21st, uh, he was waived by the Sixers because he never played a game for them and never reported. So uh, he then went on to play uh, for the C um, C S. KA Moscow team, yeah. I think it's Siska, isn't it? Siska, I don't know. Did do you, I never knew if you were actually supposed to pronounce it that way or just I, say I, it, I think so, yeah. Okay. I, I unfortunately do not know of much. Yeah, about we're, Euro, we're Euro showing League, our ignorance so. of European basketball right now. But <laughs> I yes, apologize. I, I we should do. Yes. That's our next summer series. We do all European basketball. Anyway. <laughs> there you but, go. Yes. Uh, but he retired for good uh, in 2015, and he is now the head of the Russian, Russian Basketball Federation. So good for him. Uh, but as far as his career, it's, it's really interesting the path that he went on. I mean, it was just an uneven career, really great peaks, but far too many valleys for him to be kind of a no doubt Hall of Famer or an all time great though i wonder if you add in you know because the hall of fame does add in you know play elsewhere i mean he's an all-time great russian player and an all-time great euroleague player so he might make the you know the hall of fame or the basketball hall of fame off those merits you know in addition to his nba game but we'll kind of see how that works uh his uh 1461 career blocks ranks him fifth among players all time uh at 611 or, or 69 or shorter rather uh more impressive he did it in only 797 games those above him which are josh smith who did in 891 games elvin hayes 1303 elton brand uh uh, uh 1058 and then ben wallace 1088 so kirilenko i mean the amount of blocks he got in just you know a little over you know, a little under, uh, rather, 800 games are just an impressive number. Um, but it's just, it, he had a really weird career. He had an inexplic- yeah. inexplicable drop on that 2006-2007 season. It really did him in, and he never really fully recovered. Uh, and it didn't help that, you know, the Jazz success sort of coincided with his slump season. And then, you know, finally he stops really producing, but the rest of the team produces, and they have, you know, a great run. You know, they make it pretty far in the playoffs. And they have a really good, you know, few-year run as well. And he just never really contributed to those teams on a huge level. So it's just uh, an interesting career that he went on. I mean, just an awesome, awesome all-time player for the first few, first few years. And then just kind of inexplicably dropped and, and never really got it back. I mean, I think a lot of that was the issue just with when Boozer came in, the fit was just not good. Right, um, right. Yeah, I mean, he was more – he was really more of a power forward. And if you were playing today, I think they would have put him at power forward. But that was not, you know, the thinking of the time. It was more of a conventional thing and he just struggled, you know, being the uh, – at small forward, he wasn't really much of a shooter. But you know, he kind of could do everything else and it was just kind of a – uh, I struggle to fit kind of around him, and you know I'm sure there were kind of other issues as well. But I think maybe if you know Boozer hadn't come in, and, and I think it could have been different. Now would it have been like outstanding? I, I don't know, but I mean he was pretty good that year in Minnesota, right near the end. And then when he was yeah. with the, the Nets, just all fell apart. You know his body and uh, injuries and stuff. So. Um, you know, he he did show flashes here and there, but it was you're right. It was not the same after you know those those two or three year, really strong years in uh, Utah before you know they kind of built that that uh, team around him. But um, the, the yeah, boozer the, the boozer fun. thing is a, that that that's a really good. Um Observation there because you know they made him a spot up shooter and kind of a corner guy because it was like well they had Okur and they had Boozer and it was like well okay Kirill who can do it all so he's put him at small forward and it just never really worked at small forward he had trouble guarding guys because that's where a lot of his value was too and just him being a great defensive player and a power forward you know he had the athleticism to to, to really disrupt a lot of great power forwards but he still had the strength and 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 the blocking ability to you know guys that were bigger than him or stronger than him he would still be able to get up there for blocks and really just completely controlled the game from the power forward standpoint but yeah as you said 
said, you bring in O'Cord and you bring in Boozer. And the fit just never really worked, and he just never seemed to find his footing. And, and what didn't help either is, you know, right when, you know, he started struggling and they started getting good, you heard his name in trade rumors all the time of, oh, are they going to, and I'm sure that, that weighs on guys. I mean, especially, you know, you know, a guy who, who had success and had, you know, personal success to know that you're not contributing as much and your team kind of wants to trade you and the team around you is doing well, even though you're doing poor, I'm sure is it, you know, does weigh on you a lot. But like I said, got it going with the Timberwolves, but then the Nets happened and then, you know, the lockout and it just never really got it back together. And, and, and as you said, you know, he went back to, to Moscow and played in the Euro League and, and had a few good years as well. So he still had it in him. It just seemed like the NBA thing was just, I, I, for whatever reason, just didn't quite work out. Yeah. So on the other side of the coin, we're looking at players who had, um, uh, you know, rough starts to their career, you know, among the worst box score plus minus for guys at um, age 22 or younger. So I did a couple of play index searches on basketball reference because I, that were interesting. The first one is they negative um, 4.5 box score plus minus or worse at age 22 with at least a thousand minutes. So there's a list of 27 guys in this. I'm obviously not going to go through all of them. Marcus Pfizer for uh, reference <laughs> is the worst at negative 7.2 for the bulls in 2001. I loved Marcus Pfizer then. Like I thought he was really good though. Cause he was strong and he scored a lot. And, yeah. And, but unfortunately he shot a lot too. And he didn't go in all the time when he did like, damn it. That's, so that's it, a really bad season. Yeah. <laughs> and, and a lot of these guys obviously didn't play real long. Cause they, they were, it, they may not have been realized it was that they were not that good, but they, they definitely weren't good. But, uh, Jakar Sampson is the most recent player to uh, do it. He, he did it last year for the um, 76ers. But notable players on this list who actually ended up having pretty good careers. Um, we'll talk about a few of them just very briefly. Um, first, uh, Mahmoud uh, Abdul-Raouf, uh, of course, played for the uh, Nuggets for most of his career. The former Chris Jackson, the great, uh, you know, uh, there, a couple years ago, there was some comparisons made to uh, Steph Curry, at least in yeah. terms of style of play and, you know, it, it, shooting off the dribble, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, his worst season, he had a um, he had a negative um, 5.2 box plus minus. In his career, not as bad, negative 2.2. Uh, averaged uh, 14 points per game, uh, 3.5 assists per game, and 15.5 PER. So, you know, not a um, yeah, kind of I would say it's kind of an average career for the uh, most part. Um, you know, so so it was not a uh, you know, uh, obviously ended up having a, a solid career. Most notably, of course, had the controversy where he did not wish to uh, uh, stand for the uh, national anthem. Uh, you know, they eventually kind of came to a compromise, but he got a lot of. Uh, a grief for that. Imagine that that happening in uh, you know, today's society. <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. God we've we've moved on and, and, yeah. and evolved and let you know th- this country is all about freedom. And finally, now we let you know people express their freedom however sure. they like. So thank yes. God that we've gotten over that. So uh, next guy on this list, BJ Armstrong. Uh, career uh, box plus minus negative uh, 1.6. You know, got his career together in 1994 All-Star, uh, you know, 9.8 points per game, 3.3 assists per game, 14.5 PR. Uh, obviously, you know, getting together with the, that Bulls team and becoming, you know, a, a great. But to his credit, though, I mean, it, it wasn't just, you know, Michael. and uh, He was a big part of that team, you know, with Michael and with Scotty and with those guys because he worked in the triangle quite well. He was just a perfect player for Phil Jackson to sort of mold into the perfect triangle, you know, point guard or whatever. And, and, and to his credit, he really owned it and, and, and got his career on track after that uh you know of course leaving the bulls then he kind of bounced around a bunch and, and probably didn't you know find the success that he had with the bulls but still a, a pretty decent career i'd say for bj armstrong getting it together you know after a rough 
uh, start. Uh, currently now, if, if people aren't aware, he serves as a player agent for Derrick Rose, Draymond Green, Bismack Biombo, uh, Dantes Mandiunas, JaVale McGee, and Denzel Valentine. So he's a, currently a player agent there. Uh, did some front office work with the Bulls as well, was a scout, and uh, was about to succeed, or thought he was going to succeed, uh, Jerry Krause as, as Bulls GM, and they actually went with uh, John Paxson, uh, which kind of segues into the next guy. Yes, his brother Jim Paxson, uh, who has a career box plus minus of negative point three. So, so one of the two on this list who are close to positive for their career. Uh, he's actually a two-time All Star and a one-time All NBA uh, second team um, uh, player. So he um, had an excellent season uh, that year, nineteen point five PR, twenty-one point three points per game. So probably the best season of anybody on this list. Um, and was a good, very good player for Portland for a few years, and then toward the end of his career in Boston. Austin with the uh, late 80s um, uh, Celtics. So average first career, 14.3 points per game, 20 rebounds per game, 22.9 assists per game, and 16.1 PR was a, a kind of went between point guard and shooting guard for his uh, career. So um, yeah, sort of one of those odd, like one-time All-NBA uh, list, appearance list, you know, kind of like, oh, Jim Paxson, you know, like I, I never, when going, digging into those, you know, All-NBA teams and looking at guys who just kind of stood out as being like weird, um, you know, he was definitely up there for me as far yeah. as like, what, what what's he doing there? But, He's been a weird, uh, we've had the, the month that we should have a Jim Paxson month. This is like the honorary, like this <laughs> multiple episodes where we've been like, ah, Jim Paxson's better than we thought. So that's, yeah, uh, there, yeah, there you go. Impressive. So go yes. ahead. Yeah. And, um, and, and then we have Alan Houston, of course. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was surprised to see him on this list in general because I always sort of assume that Alan Houston kind of got going. I mean, you know, we know him, you know, as, as obviously started his career in Detroit. I moved on to the Knicks where, you know, there were some struggles with the Knicks, but I always thought his, you know, Detroit tenure was pretty solid. I remember him coming into the league and being pretty good, but nah, he had a pretty rough patch to start his career. Uh, ended up solid though, of course. A career box plus minus of a negative a 0.6. Uh, two time All Star, 17.3 points per game, 2.9 rebounds per game, uh, 2.4 assists per game throughout his career, 14.9 PR. So maybe not quite as good as, as maybe his reputation is or, or his money or his, his bank account says. But uh, Alan Houston had a really solid career. Uh, he's probably noted mostly for the uh, iffy <laughs> Knicks tenure he had. And, of course, the Alan Houston rule, the quote Alan Houston rule, which is is funny and, and perfect Knicks-dom. Here is, uh, and if people don't know what that is, in the early part of the 2000s, every team had a one-time option uh, to waive a player and not pay the luxury tax on his contract. Uh, Houston, at the time that the rule was set, uh, he was owed nearly $40 million over the next two years of his contract. And it was considered such an obvious target that the option uh, to waive that player was known as the Allen Houston rule. And, of course, the Knicks decided to not <laughs> release him uh, and didn't uh, just ignored those expectations and just kept Allen Houston. Yeah, so they, the Allen Houston rule was never used on Allen Houston. So They didn't want him to go to another team that, <laughs> you know, a rival. And, yeah, thought it would be bad PR, I guess. But um, anyway, uh, next, Jeff Ballone, another two-time All-Star Um he was a shooting guard mostly with the Bullets and the Jazz. Uh, I always think of him for that crazy um, uh, falling out of bounds, a three-point game winner that was part of all those 80s uh, highlight tapes. Um, that's just like one of the greatest, most amazing, you know, circus shots um, ever. Um, it, it, if you haven't seen the videotape, it's just it, it's it, you just look up Jeff Malone game winner and you'll you'll see yeah. it. So, or if you if you owned a, v, a basketball VHS as a child, it's, it's probably on there because yes. I, I I think I have three. That I can vividly remember that it, that is on. It's like wild and crazy. I, I forgot the, the names were all like radical '90s names and right. like you know tubular and like all those sort of things. So <laughs> sure. I don't remember what they were called, but like I definitely have three that that have this shot on. It. I remember yeah. as a kid just loving. It. I always do it in the backyard too. It's one of those ones that you always uh, would watch and then try to recreate. 
Right. It, maybe it's not the greatest shot ever, but it's the most tubular <laughs> shot ever, I think. It was, it was that. radical. Yeah. That's, right. that's for yeah. sure. Uh, career box plus minus negative 2.1, which is a little bit worse than I would have expect for a player, you know, kind of for his reputation. Uh, you know, like I said, the stat may not capture everything. Um, 19 points per game, 2.6 rebounds per game, 2.4 assists per game, and a 15.2 PER. So pretty good in uh, those metrics. You know, kind of well, pretty well-rounded kind of guy. Um, he was a scorer. Definitely didn't, uh, yeah. wasn't too into the didn't defense. Didn't do a whole stuff, lot else. Yeah, right, <laughs> didn't but, really like yeah. the defense, but that's fine. No. Who cares? Uh, you know, yeah. We're going to drop defense. a 20 a game when he's a play D. You're yeah, you, you make the most tubular shot ever. You don't have to play defense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Right, yeah. yeah. That's that's defense is so like old and this is the nineties, man. You don't Yeah. That's our parents used to play defense. We're right. too radical for that. Yeah. You know, we, right. Of course twenty years later we're gonna say that all we do is play defense and Exactly, right, yeah, right, right. right. The nineties right, right, was yeah. all about defense. Right, probably, yeah, but. exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> So there are a few guys on here who you know, kind of were more okay players. So oh, before we move on, the be- I forgot to mention the best part about Jeff Malone is that he was like pretty much always the second best Malone on every team he was on. So <laughs> that's <There>. true. <laughs> like, which kind of sucks. Fair it's point. Like, yes, that's like true. Malone. He's like, oh, yeah, oh Carl, Moses, you're talking about Carl, yeah. aren't you? Moses okay. Moses like, and yeah, right. Moses and then uh, and then <laughs> Carl. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but that yeah, so makes a lot of sense. Poor, yes. poor Jeff Malone. He's always, yeah, poor Jeff. Yeah. Oh well. Always had to get a shitty jersey too because they had to say Jay Malone on it or whatever. Uh, it's like, yeah. ah, damn it. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. Nobody yeah. wants that. Either, At least you know, didn't have to have the full name on there. The full name <laughs> jerseys are always the worst ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, like like Marcus Johnson having to have his full name on his jersey, you know. Yeah. The, yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, uh, you know, as far as there's a handful of guys who developed into okay players, you know, Antonio Daniels, Kenny Gatson, uh, Terry Catlich, Larry Drew. The only active guys on this list are Nick Young and Wayne Ellington, who, you know, not really strong um, careers, but they've you know, had fairly lengthy careers since 2009 to 2010. Actually, both are having their best Boston yeah. Plus-Minus seasons this year. So so go them, you know. <laughs> Nick, People are going to be very upset that you said Nick Young is not having a great career. So Yeah, he, he, <laughs> it's near positive this year. He's, he's having a nice, yeah, uh, so. nice year. Good for him. So. So I also filtered out um, guys. I, I went with um, fifteen hundred minutes or more, and twenty two and under. So this is seasons, you know, considering you know nineteen twenty and twenty one twenty two. There's thirty four guys in this. I'm not, I'm not going to mention them again, but uh, a lot of repeats here. But some others that are notable is Ejian Leon, uh, Kevin Willis, Michael Beasley, Daryl Griffith, Craig Hodges, Tony Roten, JJ Hickson. Kendall Marshall and Sebastian Chelfair, some standouts there. Now, Kevin Willis, you know, he had a long career, was an all-NBA third-team player. Daryl Griffith was a 1981 Rookie of the Year, good scorer, early three-point star. So, you know, those guys had productive careers, but no one on this list, amazingly enough, has had a positive box for plus-minus for their career, not even Kevin Willis. So some active guys who are on this list, um, Brandon Ingram, Leela Orkafor, Zach Levine, Emmanuel Moudier, or Tim Hardaway Jr., you know, all these guys are, you know, negative four or more box score plus minus in a season um you once you're on this list it is really difficult to have a to, to have a productive career because uh, you know most of the guys on this list you know some of, like some of them had you know solid careers some of them you know were okay um but it, it you to 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 have like a great career on being this list, it hasn't happened yet. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, kind of how, what things happen for guys like that. Um, you know, Zach Levine was looking good before, before the knee injury. You know, uh, the other guys, I think right now, I think for the most part, yeah, obviously they're all young, so you don't want to write them off, except for you know, Tim Hardaway Jr. He, he's okay-ish kind of player. But the other guys, um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with them because, yeah, the, the track record is not great for guys on this list. 
No, and a lot of these guys, uh, and, and you'll see from the list, or you know, we mentioned a lot, a lot of them. But yeah, most of them just, you know, they're either not with that team that that drafts them, you know, very long, and then they kind of bounce around. Because once you pretty much once that first team kind of gives up on you, a lot of times it's very hard to get going. And you know, save for you know Allen Houston and a few of the other guys like BJ Armstrong or whatever that we mentioned, they were able to kind of move around a little bit and, and work, you know, their career through that. But yeah, a lot of the other guys just never quite got going. And you know, once that first team gets gives up on you. It's really hard to kind of get your thing, you know, get your career back together and and get back on that level. So yeah, it'll be very interesting to see those guys. And and it's it's interesting. Those is that's kind of the list of guys that I would assume you know would make this list as well. As well. And yeah, it doesn't uh, doesn't look very great for for any of them. Maybe you know Brandon Ingram. I would maybe give a little bit too, just because he's so young. But a few of the other guys, uh, I don't know. It's 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 not looking great for them. But yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, thanks, everyone, for uh, checking us out. You can find us at the stepback at fansider.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast. Please leave us a rating and review. We like it. It makes us happy and it gets people to know what we're doing. So spread the word and all that good stuff. And uh, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Over and Back NBA. So give us a follow and a like or whatever you would prefer to do. So thanks for listening and we're back again soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.